Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34. I have Stephen Monatelli with me, and we are going, you've seen his work in Rolling Stone, Daily Beast, and other publications. Uh, he's a great journalist who has been covering CPAC. So we're going to do a wrap up of what happened at CPAC this past week. Uh, I'm sure it's something that folks didn't pay a lot of attention to, given all of the very serious uh, conflict that's going on in Ukraine. But I do think there are important things that happen, and we should discuss them. So their theme was awake, not woke, whatever that means. Um, I'm thinking that they were probably just not as awake as they think they are. But I wanted to open with a clip um, from Charlie Kirk, who is the founder of Talking Points USA. Um, if you're not familiar with him, I think he is the king of non sequitur. He tends to make um, arguments where he relates to topics that are completely not relatable at all, but he does it anyway. Um, he sees himself as a conservative savior for universities. Um, and instead, we have seen an unprecedented rise of the citizen in the last 12 months. And the regime doesn't know where this is coming from. CNN's ratings are collapsing. Their top cable news hosts are taking time off. They're already getting ready. They're bracing for impact for something completely and totally historic. But I don't know about you, but I don't just want to win. I want to look at what's happening right now. And I want to be part of an extinction event for the political woke left to put them into complete and total irrelevancy for the next 20 or 30 years. Now, in order to do that, though, we as conservatives must get our priorities right. We must be very honest with each other, and our leaders must be honest with you about what really matters. You see, we are a nation in multiple crises right now. We are $30 trillion in debt. We have the most suicidal alcohol-addicted, drug-addicted generation in history. we got a lot of problems. So we have to demand from our leaders not just solutions, but direct addressing of what actually matters. For example, the U.S. southern border matters a lot more than the Ukrainian border. In fact, I want every Republican leader that comes up on stage the next couple days to call what's happening on the southern border an invasion because two million people waltzed into our country this last year. I'm more worried about how the cartels are deliberately trying to infiltrate our country than a dispute 5,000 miles away, cities we can't pronounce, places that most Americans can't find on a map. Now, I'm not defending the actions of dictators halfway across the world. What I'm saying, though, is when your own country is falling apart, I don't want to hear lectures about why we need to send our troops halfway across the world when we are being invaded. <laughs> Steven. Okay, so let's clarify something. It is Turning Point USA. My bad Freudian slip there, although Talking Point USA sort of works. <laughs> um, Charlie Kirk, let's talk about him for a second. He makes a lot of arguments that are, are about things that aren't related, aren't mutually exclusive. Um, in addition to immigration, I know he talked about voting fraud, the big lie, um, controlling how, he said the government is controlling how we breathe, host of other things. What is your take on uh, Charlie Kirk? Well, uh, it sounds like he wants to make college kids dumber and he's a <laughs> self-reflection of that agenda. 
Uh, I mean, he said something that was true, which is a lot of a people in America can't find a lot of these countries on a map. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if that's something to be using as a as a point of defense. Right. I feel like it's it's reflective of a sad truth is, you know, look at literacy rates in this country and just go get a drink. Um, you know, the reality is, yeah, like there are a lot of people who may not understand the geopolitical nature of what's going on. It's complicated. It's really sad and depressing. Uh, but he's, he's, he's trying to wield it as if it were just a cudgel for these other priorities that it has nothing to do with. Uh, it's really shameful stuff. Um, although I will say that at the Turning Points uh, USA booth, uh, one young man told me that I should thank capitalism because my outfit was swaggy and that capitalism has never killed anyone. Oh, shit. Why am I not surprised by that? You know, it's interesting to me that these guys constantly conflate capitalism with innovation as if these th these things are the same, right? They go in lockstep and it's just not the case. And in fact, most technology that we have in this country that's been used by corporations was at some point developed by government funding. I don't think that's a controversial statement, but they, they don't seem to understand that, right? It's, it's capitalism team. No kidding. And I mean, if we want to like get into economics or political economy or sociology, any of those disciplines that are pretty important to understanding what's going on in any of these topics, uh, markets are different than capitalism. Either are socialist countries that have markets. There's theory that involves socialism and markets just as an example. So it's ignorance. It's ignorance. It's the conflation of concepts that are either unrelated or are distinct and should not be simply collapsed into these buzzwords that they like to deploy to get the crowd going. You know, it's true. And, you know, he talks about being anti-China and China at this point is a capitalist political economy. I mean, you might want to call it state capitalism, but it absolutely is capitalism, as is Russia. So I think when he says that, he, he or when he mentions socialism, I know uh, Turning Point USA is constantly, and Candace Owens too, Owens too, they are always talking about socialism. I. Uh, they seem to like conflate that with authoritarianism or totalitarianism. Like they can't wrap their head around this idea of having social democracy. That just doesn't make sense to them. No but, kidding. Um, and they're, they're speaking to the ignorance of the country. There's a polling USA, USA polling poll that like just was released. Uh, what do you think best describes Russia? The question says 42% communist, 13% socialist, 11% capitalist, and 17% something else. And then the actual firm responded on this tweet, the actual answer is oligarchy for the record. Yeah. yeah. All right. I will go with oligarchy. That works for me. That's remarkable, actually, because um, 1991 was the fall of the USSR. I, how do they still think that it's a communist country? I don't know. I mean, you know, we're beating the drums of Cold War propaganda. I mean, hell, uh, Tom Clancy has done so much psychic damage to this country single-handedly uh, by putting out those sorts of books. I mean, people think that that's the world we're still living in. And you could just interchange Russia or China or North Korea in the minds of a lot of these people. And it's all the same. Oddly enough, we never actually talk about the countries that are actually socialist or communists like right. Vietnam because they whooped right. our ass. Um, that. we don't talk about that and you know, we don't, because it's not as scary. No one's, no one's scared of Vietnam. No. And they do, you're right. They do tend to put them all into the same bucket and 
you know, really, there's a large difference between North Korea and China. These are not the same types of political economy at all. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, even, yeah, you know, to collapse these things so simply is disingenuous at best. So was there any Q&A that uh, went along with some of these speeches? Because I would be curious to know what some of the questions uh, Charlie Kirk got were if there was. You know, no, the the onstage stuff was pretty controlled. Uh, any of the Q&A stuff would have been the panels that were also on the big stage. Uh, there were these like smaller breakout rooms that occurred. I didn't go to all of them. I went to I popped into one briefly, which was about criminal justice reform, of all things, which actually piqued my interest. And they had a guy up there who was, you know, going to the mat for criminal justice reform. But incidentally, he had been pardoned by Trump for having, um, I guess, given false statements during the Abramoff investigation. Um, (laughs) So take that for what you will. I mean, yeah. All right. So I want to let's let's move on to Candace Owens for a second, because uh, her uh, she's the counterpoint to Charlie Kirk at uh, Turning Point USA. And also uh, just, you know, always saying hypocritical things or, again, things that where she doesn't understand um, the context of what she's discussing. I think back, of course, to that infamous moment when she was sort of like softballing Hitler uh, to Congress when she was discussing white supremacy, which I know circulated all over the internet for good reason. Um, Thank you, Mr. Chair. In congressional hearings, the minority party gets to select its own witnesses. And of all the people that Republicans could have selected, they picked Candace Owens. I don't know Miss Owens. I'm not gonna characterize her. I'm gonna let her own words do the talking. So I'm going to play for you the first 30 seconds of a statement she made about Adolf Hitler. I agree. I, I actually don't have any problems at all with the word nationalism. I think that it gets, uh, the definition gets poisoned um, by elitists that actually want globalism. Globalism is what I, what I don't want. So when you think about whenever we say nationalism, the first thing people think about, in, at least in America, is Hitler. You know, he was a national socialist, but if Hitler just wanted to make Germany great and have things run well, okay, fine. Problem is, is that he wanted, he had dreams outside of Germany. He wanted to globalize. He wanted everybody to be German, everybody to be speaking German. But let's go ahead and cut to her clip. And she's talking about, well, I'll let you hear it. (laughs) It has never been clearer, especially over these last years in the era of COVID, just how much power we as parents have ceded to the government. Then there's that that fashionable fashionable brainwash, which we we see at home when you're watching the pollution of the mainstream media narrative that tells us that we ought to just trust the experts, right? Trust the experts. Don't even think about it, go to work, trust the experts. Here's what you need to know. You need to put a filthy cloth over the mouth of your innocent child. Trust the experts on the second dose, the third dose, the fourth dose, the never ending doses of vaccines. Just trust the experts and don't ask questions because you're not smart enough to understand this. The ever changing minute by minute science, <laughs> Fauci science, the Bill Gates science. Trust the experts that when it comes to our children, we are the experts. We make the decisions. Uh, I, every time I hear this clip, I laugh because she says, you know, the science ever changing science I, by definition, Candace, science is ever changing science progresses on findings. And when you reach a conclusion, 
that tells you something what, that you thought was wrong or was right is incorrect, you change your opinion. That's what you do. That's the point. Um, she doesn't seem to get that. Also, uh, you know, trust the experts. This is like, I did my own research, right? Oftentimes I hear people say that and what follows next is just not accurate. So, but she's definitely playing into that crowd with the speech, right? This is, you know, we're not going to trust the experts because they've led us wrong. We don't, you know, we don't like what they're saying to us. Uh, you know, the vaccine, third, fourth, fifth doses. This is common for most vaccines. Uh, most vaccines do have booster shots. So this is nothing new either. So what else did Candace talk about uh, that you saw that you thought was uh, kind of crazy? Can I use the word crazy? Is that fair? You can use whatever words you want. Opinion <laughs> is the First Amendment, baby. Um, so uh, she talked about uh, uh, bear gender and bear sex for like uh, the first like five minutes. Wait, I missed this. What do you mean? What is what? Please. So she gave this like a long winded metaphor uh, about how mama bears will maul any bear that tries to come near them when they got a baby cub and that the male bears will try to kill the cubs in order to have sex, basically. And she was trying to give this like long winded analogy to say like the male bears, those are the pharmaceutical bureaucrats. Those are the school boards. <laughs> And the mama bears need to, you know, we need to be more like the mama bears. Um, wow. And then, and then she just like launched into this whole idea of like, when did we start co-parenting with the federal government? And then meanwhile, I live in Texas, right? And I don't know if you've seen the news about the governor and the attorney general basically saying, if you got a trans kid or if you give them compassionate medical care, you're going to jail, Buster. Sorry. Uh, so there's, there's like... You know, no sense of the dissonance here, uh, but it is as sharp as I've ever seen it. And yeah. she went on to say a bunch of other stuff. I mean, like, first off, if if we're putting a filthy cloth on your child's mouth, you're putting the filthy cloth on your child's mouth, ma'am. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. I am not putting a filthy cloth on my face. It's because I'm a sanitary human being who <laughs> takes a shower. Like, Jesus Christ, the, 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 the lengths that people go to this to create these these straw men arguments and these points, um, it's astonishing. And and what people react to is even more astonishing. Like the you can hear it in the crowd responses. Right. right. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I think a lot of the uh, media personalities that are going on and on about vaccines are doing so because they're getting clicks like it's it's what they're looking at. I don't know. I don't know if everybody making these claims actually believes them. Uh, because most of the folks that I say talking about this actually in the real world are vaccinated. Well, you might you might remember the the philosopher who said this. There's like, uh, was it Schopenhauer? They basically made the argument in like one of their pithy books about argumentation. Like it doesn't matter if someone actually believes what they're saying if they keep right. saying it and they act on it, and then that it, like there's the difference is is futile. It's indiscernible and in fact impossible because we only really even have an inkling of our own intentions. Uh, I mean, how many times have you done something and you're like, why the hell did I do that? Um, right. So, yeah, I, I don't care if they actually believe it. It's it's a little more concerning when people are zealots, because maybe that tells us something about th the extent of their motivations and what they might do. But, you know, if they're feeding into this, if they're making it worse, I consider them just as responsible. 
I, no, and that's a fair point. I, you know, it also getting lost in the news cycle because of Ukraine is the fact that we have been having a lot of COVID deaths, more so now than we have had at uh, any other point, I believe, in this. Uh, it's normal you know, now. So it's been normalized, and it's really frightful to me. One of the things that, in, in fact, I want to go back to Charlie Kirk for a second. One of the things I heard him say in his speech, too, that I thought was really terrible was he was making the argument that it was immoral to force the young kids to try to do the right thing to keep older folks alive or not sick. And I was like, wow, that's, are you advocating for some form of eugenics right now? Charlie, I, what's I, going I, on here? I mean, you know, I, I, I wrote in my article that the first uh, Rolling Stone article towards the end about Umberto Eco, and one of his 14 points describes the notion of contempt for the weak. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, fuck these people. They're too weak to survive anyway. And if you have to help them to survive, they're too weak. That's what they're saying. That's basically the point. And so when I heard yeah. that, I got these 14 points in my head and I just check check them off. I'm like, there yeah. you go. there's another one. It's horrible. I don't know. I don't know how else to take it. I don't know how else to take it either, but I was really appalled by it. And this too got a lot of applause from the audience. And I, you have to wonder, okay, there's got to be folks in that crowd that are, you know, 50, 60 years old. They think that this is acceptable thing to say. I, I don't understand this. I mean, you know, I don't know either. Maybe, maybe they're the kind of people that say accidents happen to other men and not me. Fair. Uh, and then you also have to sort of wonder, do they not also realize that younger folks can die from COVID as well? This is this idea that it's only older folks dying is just not a true one. We have data yeah, that but, shows us clearly that that's not true. But but Tina, people have been dying from stuff forever, you know. <laughs> so like whatever, like that's that's it. Okay, Stephen, you've been in CPAC too long. I need to pull you out. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just channeling what I've experienced because these uh, this is this is you know. There's, it is what it is, right? You you see it as much as I see it. I don't know if I can make it any more clear. Yeah, no, I I understand, and you're right. It's it's sort of uh, you know if you look at this and you hear what they're saying, and and you're not uh, radicalized into their echo chamber, it's kind of like ah, you know, you have those moments. Right. I mean, I ended up <laughs> having to talk to a guy named Grizzly Joe and quote him on why he was upset about the presence of white supremacists and January 6th people and so on and so forth, because it was hard to find some normal person who would give me their real name to say that. <laughs> really? That's I mean, Gr Grizzly Joe's a media person, online media personality. His whole thing is that he was a 9-11 first responder. Yeah. Like, you know, now he's like, he's gone to CPAC for 10 years. And I saw him last year when I was writing for the Daily Beast. And I was like, hey, good to see you again. Like, because he had talked to me about how he thought OAN and Newsmax were off the rocker. Right. And I was like, I was like, that's refreshing. I'm going to keep in yeah. touch with you. And I see him again. I'm like, we got to talk, Joe. And, you know, what he said to me was, I didn't include the whole quote in there. But he basically yeah. said to me, if these people were in my party, I would kick them out with a bat in my hand. <sighs> Yeah, that's and I was like, of, I get it, man, because if they start yeah. saying they're going to vandalize shit or they're going to like be mean to your guests or how like that they're going to launch a crusade from your house, then like maybe you should kick them out. And that's and that he got it. He got it. And then I was like, hey, buddy, is is a Marxist invasion happening at the southern border? And he's like, no, of course not. Are you what are you talking about? And I was like, well, that's what they've been saying. That's what they in there. And and he's like, look, 
Marxists have invaded through the southern border. Forget about Ukraine. Two million Marxists are coming in through Mexico. Look, I, I, I don't know if anyone of these people I've ever actually met like an actual Marxist. Just ask them about that <laughs> and see what their response was would be because like every time i'm i like check in with someone who's like a scholar or like an activist type i'm like hey look i just want to gut check this is joe yeah. biden a communist and they're no. like first first off i wish second off yeah. um that's what they say they say first off i wish and then second off if he is appropriating the means of production for the proletariat that's news to me are you writing right. that article and then i'm like no that <laughs> i'm like no that's not happening it's not happening <laughs> Um, and, and so it's, it's, but it's unfortunate because like, you know, you're not going to see that quoted in the New York times because the no. reality is communists right. have no institutional power in this country. That's so, right. they don't. so the most journalists would never even consider to quote them because they're like kind of a non-entity politically speaking. Um, yeah. and, and that unfortunately ends up granting the premise like implicitly that these people who are talking about this over here know what they talk, they're talking about. Um, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time, Tina. No, I'm with you. I mean, I, when I was covering some of the Trump rallies, I would have these conversations. I would ask these guys when they would say Marxist, I'm like, can you please explain to me what Marxism is? And it just superficially, I need to understand that, you know, what this word means. Nobody could explain it to me. They just, they just kept using it. Well, and it's like, it's a watchword. What is it? There's all these code words, watchwords for yeah. things that are scary, that auger uh, scary things into the future. And then they call up nostalgia or fear of the past. This like, you right. know, different time. I don't know whatever the twisted version of nostalgia is, but it's that. I'm sure Mark Fisher maybe wrote an essay about this. And, Probably. And like, that's what's going on here. And it, they don't want to read a book about this because it fits into the narrative that that book would actually just be propaganda. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to me because you wouldn't have even heard this 10 years ago, the, the right wing in this country under the, I mean, maybe a little bit of, you know, the communism socialism thing, but not Marxist. Like, no, they weren't calling every Democrat around them Marxist. So it's just interesting that it's just gone further in this direction. And this has sort of been normalized as well. Um, yeah. I would say the boogeyman is Antifa. I mean, I, I mean, the last protest I covered, the Trump supporters started calling LAPD Antifa. And I was like, did you see the video I posted uh, between David Clements, uh, the like, disgraced like professor who turned into election audit huckster uh, getting into like uh, he, he was confronted by this Arizona QAnon friendly candidate uh, who was having this debate with them about the part that I walked up on into. He said, you don't even know the definition of common law, bro. And you're a lawyer. And they were talking about, I don't even know. It turned out, I found out later, they were rehashing a YouTube debate they had had months prior. And, <laughs> and anyway, at the end of it, his sidekick, the Josh Barnett is the Arizona candidate's name, his sidekick uh, oh. jumps in and points at Clements and says, you called me Antifa. As if that were the worst thing he could possibly ever have been called. And then meanwhile, in the background, there are people wearing hats that say America first, who later attended right. an actual white nationalist yeah, conference. We're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. Nick Fuentes. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, but this is how everything is just becoming more extreme, right? So Nick Fuentes, in fact, we can talk about him now and come back to this. Nick Fuentes... Uh, 
is a groiper. He is, uh, he started America first. He is a neo-Nazi. He's um, been very active here in California. Uh, I am surprised that he started his own thing called America first uh, at the same time. And I think that he's trying to pull some of the attention away from CPAC. I think he, you know, he sees himself as being based. He's like more woke than they are. They're not, you know, these guys are like the rhinos. So uh, he's mask more extreme. Off. He's the mask, mask off. off version. Right. So this is how extreme things are getting in the country. You've now gone to a place where what we're talking about right now, the CPAC folks, which are pretty damn extreme and radicalized, aren't radicalized enough. Now we're going to the next level where there's an America First conference, which is a white supremacy conference. Yeah. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, I think they're giving up the game. Hmm. You know, this has been going on for the past three years. There's been tension yeah. in the past. This like back and forth. Um, 2017, Grizzly Joe actually confronted Richard Spencer on video at CPAC yeah. and was like, get the fuck out of here. And and then like Richard Spencer did get ejected. And then like the CPAC organizer made some statements about, you know, not supporting white nationalism and all these things. Fast forward. Here we are. That tension has disappeared it's no longer even really yeah. there. There was a, a ton of overlap in terms of there's like speaker overlap, attendee overlap between these two conferences. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're just miles away. Incidentally, I got lost on the way uh, between them and I had to drive through the Walt Disney properties. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you, you, you know, about the whole Lenny Riefenstahl thing. <laughs> I just had a vision of you running through Disney like Snow White with animals trailing you, and then you leave, and you're like in the scary area. So, so the thing is, driving through Walt Disney, I actually think was the scary area because if you read your Baudrillard, <laughs> um, or if you read anything about uh, who Walt Disney hosted in 19 like 39, I believe it was. Oh, wait, that's fair, actually. Some Nazis. Lenny Riefenstahl, uh, not you know the famous propagandist for the Nazis, uh, and she that's was right. uh, uh, showing Olympia. Olympia yeah. was the name of the film. Um, so that was just like a little bonus uh, for me um, to have to like go through the simulacra to get to the fascist conference, and so. <laughs> Um, that was really the crystallization of it though. I mean, it was like Joe Arpaio on stage saying like, oh, they call me so racist. And then the crowd starts cheering. And then he's like, wait, like he's confused why they're cheering when he keeps saying that they call him racist. And I'm like, because they think is, it's a good thing. This wow. Is, this is like a, an episode of the boondocks. Yeah. Um, like one of them that was so bad, it gets banned. Because it, it like it is just too true to life. Uh, there was a, a black gentleman named Jesse Peters, and he, his yeah. whole thing—I can't even get into what it is. But during the, his speech in the live chat, uh, once again a Boondocks reference, they were saying Uncle Ruckus Groiper. I mean, like you cannot make this up. And yet at CPAC, there was a ten Tennessee radio host who said. I quote, my preferred pronouns are fried chick and collard greens. And then, you know, when people call me cracker, I say I prefer saltine American. This was mm. at the conference that was supposed to not be overtly racist. Yeah. Um, these things are, they're just right there. They're right just there right there. So, um, Stephen, somebody that doesn't know what a groiper is, um, I, you know, we've talked, we've talked about groipers, but 
what we need a more um, in-depth definition. I would, you know, I would, I qualify them as just being neo-Nazis. It's the, you know, Nick Fuentes is the leader of yeah. this group. I'd say they're what, like, they're, they're deeply fascistic youth. They're like juvenile fascists, little fascists. Yeah. Like most of them are in college age or yeah. just out of, or just before um, they, you know, are high energy you know, a lot of Trump rallies, I'm like, man, you know, I'd be scared if these people wouldn't have to catch their breath on the way up to the, in my door um, when they're climbing the stairs. These guys, I'm like, eh, they're young, they're virile types. Um, yeah. And, you know, they wear pit vipers and they kind of have these uniforms that they wear that help, yeah. you know, them kind I of stand out and identify <laughs> each other. But but those blended into, you know, um, the perception of like the average conservative that was attending there, unless they kind of knew what the semiotics were That's like what right. were the the hats and the bit the pins and stuff right like happy the frogs gear and what have you yeah it's like they're little armbands so um yeah. and in fact i've seen their armbands with red armbands with peppy frogs on them i've seen the so there it is and um yeah these these young guys they believe uh they're that like you know christ is king they chanted during the event uh they are christian nationalist fascists i mean the neo-nazis were also deeply religious in their own weird ways uh they came up with their own race science uh that built on right. other awful race science that pre-existed and predated them um so yeah, I mean, they don't call themselves neo-Nazis, but most white supremacists don't call themselves white supremacists. They say that they want to preserve a place for the white race or whatever the fuck that they're saying these days. Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, you know, it's if the if you go into their Telegram chat rooms, though, they're pretty overtly posting, you know, swastikas. And no, that's like right. That's right. In their in their zone, they yeah, are for sure. They are. But. But then, like, when they go to CPAC in their Telegram chats, one of the things that they said was, no skull masks, yes. optics matter. And I'm like, <laughs> so they, yeah, they, these are the ones that are more self-conscious. They're walking trolls. They, they know what the jazz face, mm -hmm. they, they, they do the, they do the, that's just a joke or no, what do you mean? I didn't know what that meant sort of thing. You know, they, they play dumb. You know, let's talk about that for a second, because that is quite common for this group, right? They they try to use the, you know, it's irony or it's comedy to sort of mask their overt racism, their uh, overt anti-Semitism. And it's it doesn't work, though. I don't know why they think they're getting away with anything. They think that if they don't explicitly say it on the record, that we won't figure it out. <laughs> I mean, the swastika could give it away. Just saying. All right. So that's interesting. So how many attendees would you say were at this Nick Fuentes uh, conference roundabout? Hundreds. You know, Hundreds. I, mm -hmm. I saw them like streaming out of the place when it was over. Um, uh, I mean, it wasn't nearly as big as CPAC, to be clear. Okay. But you did you see know. some crossover. What was the attendance number wise at CPAC? Thousands. Thousands. All right. So, I mean, still, these are larger groups of individuals. It's not, you know, 20 guys in a basement is the point I'm making. I, I think people do need to realize that fascism and neo-Nazism is absolutely on the rise in the country. It is. And has been under, the, you know, Trump administration going into Biden. It didn't stop with Biden becoming president at all. It's uh, becoming emboldened, I would say. I mean, because, yeah. you know, hard, hard to say if it's on the rise or if it's just been percolating underneath the surface. No, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. You know, it just feels like it's boiling over at this point. Yes, and now okay. we're seeing it. 
Yeah. We're, it's showing its face. It's but, showing its um, face. I mean, hell, like, just look at 100 years ago in this country. We had our own Christian fascists that were distributing yeah. the protocols of the elders of Zion. Right. Yeah, fair. They weren't, they weren't foreign. You don't have to look to Germany, y'all. You can look no, right no, no, here. You know, there's, there's literally Nazis everywhere. I, I don't think that that's a crazy statement. Uh, you know, and it's, and their ability to talk to each other um, has come to fruition via the internet. And if they've been kicked off Twitter, if they've been kicked off Facebook, they're still able to get on apps like uh, Telegram and organize on there and speak to each other without um, any fear of retribution. So, uh, you know, and on a part of me, I think that that's OK, because you do want to be able to monitor what these guys are doing and saying. And if it gets too far underground, you lose your ability to do that. So in a way, I think um, I think ha keeping it to a low minimum on an app like Telegram is probably the best outcome we can have at this point versus getting, you know, being able to, to deal with them and confront them uh, <clears throat> and expose them for what they really well. think. And as we see, uh, as they keep having to jump from platform to platform and they increasingly go into the arms of these like homegrown far right um, yeah. websites and stuff, they keep getting compromised. They have garbage cybersecurity. Um, <laughs> yes, there's only true. like a, there's only unfortunately like two types of far right technologists. Uh, it's like you look at the code and it's either scary good and you're like, oh, no. Or you look at it and you're like, this is the dog shit. This is the worst thing I've ever seen. I'm surprised you didn't get hacked sooner. And, right. you know, we're, we're seeing that. We're seeing a lot of we're these leaks that. happening. It's kind of the, you know, it's like once you start to only exclusively use certain apps and services, it's like, eh, you know, you, it's like you're there for a reason. Yeah. And we exactly. know. Exactly. We know what those reasons are. Yeah. The Patriot Front link leaks were pretty uh, telling, I thought. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's web service providers fundraisers, yeah. the whole nine yards, the whole nine yards, hundred percent. All right. So I want to shift gears back to CPAC. I want to talk about the uh, British guy, uh, Nigel Farage, I think is how we pronounce his last name. <clears throat> I am in no doubt that if Donald Trump had still been the president, that invasion of Ukraine would not have happened. I'm in no doubt about that. But it has happened, and if something's gone wrong with Putin, if he's lost logic and reason, it's not impossible to think that he'll want to go back to the days of Catherine the Great and the Tsarist Empire, and that Poland, Latvia, Lithuania and Estonia are under threat. He also is probing at NATO, and I'll tell you why. This remarkable alliance that has worked since the late 1940s was put there to guarantee peace, has pretty much done a very good job over those years. But something happened last year. America withdrew from Afghanistan unilaterally without even consulting your closest ally in the world. And let's face it, we've been with America in virtually every major conflict, side by side you, since 1917 and what Joe Biden did without a phone call was to withdraw American troops from Afghanistan. And we're asking ourselves a question. Do America still want to be the leaders of the Western world? Because if they're not, we have a problem. And the truth of it is, and this is unfair on American taxpayers and American people, but it's a fact 
The truth of it is, without America, NATO is a waste of space. Without America, without America, Putin can do what the hell he wants, and we don't have the strength to stop him. Donald Trump did his best to make delinquent NATO members start paying the membership fee, and he was right to do so. But it's still, it's still not enough. It's still not enough. So there needs to be a big public debate in America. So, Mr. Brexit, um, basically, he's arguing that if Trump was president right now, what is happening in Ukraine would not be happening. I think that's incredibly naive. I, I don't I mean, you're giving you're giving America too much credit here. There's been an ongoing eight year civil war. Uh, what do you make of this guy? Um, so he, uh, let's see, he, he had some interesting insights, I think, uh, at least in terms of he was one of the few people at the conference who seemed to uh, have any grasp of geopolitical history. <laughs> so he, 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 as, he did. As racist as he is, at least he understands some things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, his, his takes on them or his like positioning of them uh, that's a, maybe i would say a different story but um yeah nigel farage was like a brexit guy if i'm not wrong yeah he's um, and he uh he said you know like nato expansion probably has kind of thrown a little bit of gas on the fire over you know, the true. past couple of decades right and i'm like go on um <laughs> and and, you know, he he didn't really. I mean, the whole Afghanistan thing, just, yeah, it's absurd. It seems ridiculous. It's, it was, no one's going to win that war. We, we obviously weren't going to do what we set out set out to do and remake the freaking country. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it was like, on the one hand, yeah, he was the one person who kind of had a sense of any arc of history. But I guess that's also simultaneously really bad news if that's the best they got. No, that's true. You know, um, I don't, I mean, do you think, you don't think that, that if Trump was president, what happened wouldn't have happened? I mean, don't you think that's no. a little bit naive? I, I find a lot of neoconservatives have this sort of idea that, um, and, it, and it's naive to me, right? This idea that, well, our way is the right way. We are clearly having superior types of a political economy and superior types of government. We're the West. And of course, that's what everybody else wants. So if we just give them what they want, they'll just fall in line and be happy with us and love us. I mean, that's sort of kind of what it boils down to. And I think it's incredibly naive because, no, guys, not everybody wants what we want. And you can't force them to like that. So yeah. um, so this argument that might is right, uh, this constant, like, you know, realist form of international relations, I don't think it's accurate. And I think that he's still prescribing to that sort of ideology and thinking that it will make everything okay. Um, I, I think it's naive. Right, right. And I also don't even think it's, frankly, necessarily a realist perspective on international relations. Because, like, <laughs> if you were to take the realist perspective, it's like, who's arming who? Who's spending money? Who's, like, okay. placing these sanctions? You know what I'm saying? That's realism, yeah. as far as I understand realism. What they're arguing is, like, this, like, different form of, like, I don't know if it's post-structuralism like, or whatever, but they're basically saying, like, if only we had the right guy making the right negotiations it's and the right arguments. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like it has a hint of realism. Maybe it masquerades yeah. as realism, which is also just like a I, – I think, you know, whatever. Throw that out. 
uh, to begin with. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not as a, an ideology I ascribe to. I, I think, but at, at the very least, yeah, it's like they're doing something else that I don't even really know what the word for it is because I haven't been in international relations classes in a while. Oh, um, many for myself too. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But it just, it, I just think he's ridiculous. What other things did you see him talk about? I know that he touched on obviously immigration as well, which seems to be a common thread with all the speeches. Um, I know he talked about anti vaccines, also a common thread with a lot of the speeches. And I would say mm -hmm. the third one is the big lie, the voting fraud. Yeah. Uh, what else yeah. did you hear, hear him say in those areas? Oh, well, I mean, <sighs> He, like you said, I mean, he hit the main notes. I don't actually really recall everything that he okay. said about those because they were they were kind of unremarkable statements. They weren't <laughs> as explosive as other people's statements, frankly. Um, okay. But he hit all the same. Then. He hit all the same notes. The one thing I will bring up that he did is he created uh, he led rather a chant of "Let's go, Brandon," which is basically what I found. Any time that any one of these politicians feels like they're, you know, kind of losing the room a little bit or the energy is a little flat, they either do a let's go Brandon chant or they chant Trump, basically. They chant Donald J. Trump or some shit like that. Um, and it works every time. I'm telling you, it works every time. All right. So who was making the worst statements on immigration, in your opinion? Fuck. Uh, I haven't. Sorry. I don't know if I can do it. I haven't created a yeah. ranked list. I haven't created an Excel spreadsheet because I'd have to do some like scoring here because it's a competition. Unfortunately, <laughs> people have asked me questions like this, like who said this thing or that? And I have to pause and I'm like, do you want a list? Um, Just like, whatever sticks out in your mind. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the Kirk thing, the Kirk thing is awful. Um, and, and he is Yo, not the is only one who's saying it. Number from? Do you have any idea where he's getting that number from? There are crossings that occur. I don't know exactly. I think you might be getting it from like DHS or uh, border, uh, the border agency or customs. But like he is the, the invasion thing is the sickest thing, I think it is. And it is something that Trump says. It's something that Kirk says. It's a bunch, a bunch of them say it. And it is sick. It is sick. It is not an armed invasion. This is not a planned military plan. It is. It is these the most are dangerous shit. Our foreign policy, oftentimes in other countries, most of that these folks right. coming up to the border wouldn't be doing so if they weren't leaving really dangerous situations in their home countries that have often be, been made worse by what our actions have been there. You know, that's so right. When Charlie Kirk was like drug addled country, yada, yada. I was like, my brother, have you heard of Iran Contra? Um, <laughs> like the. There's right. just so much here. There's it's it, we could spend hours, days unpacking some of this stuff. Uh, but I mean, that's kind of why I just tried to cut to the chase with the two articles I wrote. I mean, it's like that would be a waste of time in my mind. This yeah. we know what this is now. I mean, it's yeah. like if people have known what this is for a while and, and people have attacked some of those people who have said that word because they said, oh, that's too soon or no, that's not right. Or you can't just call everybody you think is extreme or you oppose a fascist. And I, I, I generally agree with that statement actually, because words mean things, but this is that. There's a lot of fascist fascism is increasing. That's what I don't think. I think that's the component that people are not realizing. No, when I use the term fascist and I'd say the same is true for you, we actually do mean fascist. I mean, these folks, that's not an exaggeration. It's not hyperbole. These folks are really engaging in uh, fascistic remarks. I don't know how else to reframe it. And the fact that that is on the rise is concerning. 
they're building a fascistic movement. I mean, hell, yeah. there's paramilitary people who show up to this stuff, yeah. right? There's yeah, militia, militiamen. You know, it's not a formal organized paramilitary force because words mean things. But how do those things start? Right. On you Telegram. <laughs> on Telegram. <laughs> I'm just saying, on Telegram. Um, I want to ask you about Tulsi Gabbard here for a second because, wow. Um, what the fuck is going on there, man? I w I, you know, so I've actually interviewed Tulsi a few times back in the day. I have not for a while now. Um, I, inter I interviewed her in 2016 at the DNC convention about the stance that she took on the superdelegates and supporting Bernie Sanders. And, and, you know, what she was saying in that regard was absolutely spot on and correct. Um, yeah. I've interviewed her about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and a few other things, but I have seen her shift so far to the alt-right at this point that when I saw that she was going to be headline, one of the headline speakers at CPAC, I kind of went, hmm, yeah, that checks. It does. It does track, doesn't it? Which is unfortunate, I think. Um, it is. I didn't catch her thing because it was a dinner, I believe, uh, okay. when she spoke. But I mean, yeah, what? Joe Manchin sitting with the Republicans at the State of the Union. I mean, what the hell are we doing here? What are we even doing here? This is this is really bad, folks. Like this is this is like Southern Strategy 2.0, but somehow it's yeah. West Virginia and Hawaii and, and Nevada. Like, what is? I don't. I'm confused. Um, it's, it's wild. And I it's and I. I I'm really going to just give my very uh, legally couched opinion here, but it just sure hell seems to me like it's just corruption at a certain level. It's either corruption or people are just off the rails and I don't know what their foundation or, or their moral compass is. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. I think the same thing. Cause sometimes I see, like I see people that, you know, were Bernie Sanders followers. I mean, Cassandra Fairbanks is just, but one of them that have gone all the way to the opposite extreme and you know they're hanging out with guys like richard spencer and you're like how did you ever believe that bernie sanders was your guy what? and now you're hanging out my thing is this anti-establishment is not an ideology it, that's it, right if you're simply contrarian for the sake of being contrarian you have no principle I, and, and they can go anywhere from there right so that's um, right. like punks they kicked out the Nazis from the punk scene because That's punks right. are anti-authoritarian, <laughs> but they're not just anti-authoritarian. They have some sense of morals and, you know, taking care of their community. Uh, and whenever those people start showing up, they got kicked out because they didn't belong there. And right. even if they tried to cast themselves as, oh, well, we're against this authority system. It's like, no, you want to put in your own authority system. You want to wear your boots and, right. and stomp with those instead yes. of getting stomped by the other jackboots. So yeah. I, I think that's right. You can't just be an anti-authority person and you don't want to do, you know, whether you think it's fish hook theory or horseshoe theory or like whatever the heck you want to yeah, call I, I don't it. Think that's correct. Yeah. The horseshoe theory thing is, is as far as I'm going to not correct. Uh, yeah. And that's what know, I'm saying. I think it's all, it's all crap. Whatever you want to yeah. think about as your analogy for it, it's going to be a bad analogy, but it's yeah. like, this is what's going on. It is because there are people who are, they don't actually have a moral compass other than I'm going to go, yeah. I'm going to go against with like what, whatever is the okay. dominant thing right now. That's right. That's what I think it is. I think it's just anti-establishment. Uh, philosophy, which is not a philosophy, they think it is, but it's not moored to any principle. Well, it's what's just the point uh, of politics, yeah. right? If you're gonna, if, if you're gonna yeah. win, aren't you suddenly the establishment? Like you want to establish something, you want to do something with it. 
Yeah, you know, so that's sort of the thing that happens too. Sometimes folks that, you know, made their bread and butter off of being anti-establishment, right? That was their sort of calling card and what they define themselves as. They get really big followings and now they are no longer anti-establishment because they're taking money from corporate America and making a shit ton of money. I think that's something that happens too. But they'll continue on saying that they're anti-establishment, right? So again, this is not, um, as far as I'm concerned, it's not a grounded ideology and it's meaningless. And I think uh, the environment that we're in right now is just creating a lot of anger for obvious reasons. We could look at the income inequality. We could look at, you know, just a host of things that are going on globally and it's contributing to that. These are the factors that drive increases in fascism, in my opinion. And I think that, that the increased anger is just not, when it's not moored to any principle, this is this is sort of what happens. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of anger and a lot of people who feel like something is wrong, but um, all they have really going for it are their instincts and their sort of knee jerk things. And so, yeah, yeah. they're looking for someone to tell them. Reactionary. Yeah, it's totally reactionary. I guess that's a good way to think of it. So lots of DeSantis love was going around. Uh, I know there was a couple of polls. I saw one poll in particular, uh, the straw poll, that mm -hmm. basically had Trump winning the 2024 uh, to be Republican president. Uh, but if he was not on the table, DeSantis would be number two. Uh, That's right. What, what are your thoughts there? It was the same as it was last year. Nothing's really okay. changed much there. I think uh, really what's changed is you know, like, is, is Trump going to run? Right. And that's like a question people ask in my mind, it's obvious that he's going to run unless, yeah, you know, something happens so. barring well, any other like major yeah. uh, criminal investigation or something like that. Barring that, I think he is. Yeah. But then even then Eugene V. Debs ran from prison, didn't he? Yeah. Okay. You know, that's a fair point. So, I mean, things could get more wild than they already are, I guess. I'm just saying, I don't know if they passed any laws about that. I wouldn't be surprised if they did just to like say, fuck this guy. We can't let this happen again. But um, I'm just saying like things could get weirder. Things could get weirder. Definitely. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, critical race theory. Uh, you know, obviously this has become a very favorite whipping post for the right in this country. Uh, but that seemed to be an underlying theme of not only CPAC, but also of Nick Fuentes' group. Uh, you know, they, they view this as threatening. The idea of looking at American history or, or the American legal system through a lens that takes race into consideration. Um, you know, and here's the thing I always say. Yes, we know that race now, we've decoded the human genome. We know race is, is biologically vacuous. It's not uh, anything more than a social construct. But I don't think that matters. Racism does exist. Even if the myth of race does not, it's a myth, it's not true. The fact that people believe in that myth has been very dangerous and deadly for, uh, you know, hundreds of years. And it's something that we need to address, right? Racism is definitely real. So um, why do you think, you know, I've seen an increase of critical race theory be really, really something that they hate so much. And it's been around for 20 25 years. This is not a new theory. Why is it becoming in the last two years such a big boogeyman for these guys? And in particular, the Nick Fuentes crowd, which obviously views it as being anti-white. Mm -hmm. Well, I see it starting as a reaction to the Black Lives Matter, um, okay. you know, sort of the the uptick 
the uptick in the protests, the big surge after the horrific murder, murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer, right? So it's not that it started then, but um, that was a moment in American nope. history where there was a massive recognition. And then suddenly you saw schools, corporations, you know, cities, all these places recognizing and, and starting to do some of these things. Right. Fast forward okay. a year later, go look at the Google trends. Just look at the term search for critical race theory. Quite literally a year later, off to the races. It is the new boogeyman, and we got to stop teaching people about race. And then at CPAC, Rick Scott, he's there saying his 10-point plan includes uh, a plank that says, we will no longer measure or ask about race or the color of your skin on any government document. They spent these people, broadly speaking, you know, white racists, spent hundreds of years constructing a race case system <laughs> only only for us to dis to discover via science that race is bullshit and then use their race-based system to then begin to analysis of their ongoing racist case-based system yeah. to then show in fact that the outcomes are still racist and so they right. say you can't do that anymore we don't like you using this to do your analysis we're not going to actually change anything we're just going to make it so that you can't actually do this research easily anymore right how does this make it make it make sense I mean, it doesn't it doesn't just... i took a class I, I my minor in college was legal studies i took critical okay. race theory, yeah like, critical race theory classes in college so yeah, the moment too. that this came out i was like holy shit like this isn't critical race theory. <laughs> like this right. is not. This I know is what not. that is. I know what um, that is. You guys are doing, but you know, because they can't understand. Like you know, and for the longest time, here's the funny thing. Um, I my master's thesis was on uh, racism and science, and when I was writing about race being biologically vacuous, um, these guys would not accept that premise because they wanted to believe that not only that race was real, but that it. People were hardwired for intelligence, um, you know, and other things that was related to your phenotype, to your skin color, right? This cool. This they all had a copy of. Was this of before the bell or after curve. the bell curve? <laughs> yeah, it was right after the bell curve. God uh, damn it! Yeah. <laughs> so, for folks that don't know this book, because I'm, I'm, you know, showing my age here, the bell curve was this horrible, horrible book, 800 pages long, that came out at the late 90s. Uh, it. Charles Murray, I'm sure some of you know who he is, was one of the offers. The other one's Hernstein. But these guys were basically arguing that uh, not only was uh, intelligence, intelligence innate, it was you were hardwired towards it uh, because of your race, and that we shouldn't fund groups or any sort of educational programs um, like Head Start simply because if we did that, uh, we would just be wasting our money. Uh -huh. uh, so I just gave you no. the Reader's Digest condensed version of an 800-page book. Um, I think one of the greatest books ever written was a response to this, and that would be Stephen Jay Gould's The Mismeasure of Man. I suggest you skip the bell curve and pick that one up. It's a great book. Yeah, it's a good book. But, you know, they didn't want to accept that because they wanted to believe that they were uh, biologically superior, right? They they needed to believe that the master race, this idea that you we are born into this, uh, you know, what does Richard Spencer call that? people of the sun or whatever they needed to believe that right and, and science was debunking that and saying that's not the case we you know and then when uh 
Vetner, who is one of the scientists that decoded the human genome, came out and made this case and saying that race isn't real. We need to stop looking at these terms as if, if they have any uh, meaningful import. That just put them all over the edge. So now they've sort of had to uh, become accustomed to that, right? That this is this is what the science is. So now they're trying to like still you know hold on to their racist beliefs. So you know now here we have CRT becoming the boogeyman because this is an examination of of the harms that believing in racism has uh, caused. You know through the lens of of uh, legal system, right. criminal justice system, things of this nature. Well, and they to would me, use that's your a- own. They would use your own arguments against you. Oh, civil rights past, right? Oh, they proved, you know, that science says there's no such thing as race. Why are we still measuring it? That's what they say. Why are we still measuring it then? Aren't you the racist now? Aren't yeah, you? you know, I've, I've had, in fact, when I had to defend my, um, my, my uh, thesis, one of the conservative guys said to me, he's like, well, you don't, he's like, then you don't believe in affirmative action. I'm like, I actually do. I absolutely do. And let me explain something to you. And I shouldn't have to at this level of philosophy. I should not have to explain this to you. If race is a myth, that doesn't make racism not real. Racism can be every bit real and cause excruciating amounts of damage. Just because people believe in a myth, this thing is a myth, right? It doesn't exist. But that belief in that myth is what undergirds racism, right? It doesn't matter that race isn't real. It doesn't matter at all. This thing very much is. People fight whole wars over their beliefs that they think other people's beliefs aren't real. Um, And I think we can look in our own history for parallels here. I wrote an article for Rolling Stone a few days before I went to CPAC. Well, that's when it came out, at least, about, um, you know, the CRT battles and stuff going on in North Texas, where I live. And long story short, you know, they just want to reinstate patriotic education down here, which was basically created around the time when people with last names like mine were moving to this country and they didn't like that they thought people with my last name weren't white and so they were afraid so what they did was they and by they i mean the american foreign legion or american legion rather was like the first uh institution that really pushed for 100 percent americanism patriotic education and they said yeah we should be teaching this in schools that, um, you know, only certain types of people are American. You have to be a certain way to be American. And that what our founding fathers wanted was only for certain types of people to govern, which means, you know, land owning men. Yeah. And land owning white men. <laughs> and, and, you know, fuck. Italians weren't even white back then in their I eyes. Loyal, you're right. That's true. Um, and and look at me. Look, look at me. Come yeah, on. But you're right. There was a viewpoint of both Italians and Irish um, also racist again. So, yeah, I mean, the tenets of racism stand irregardless uh, of those things. That's just which is like we're looping right back to that. Yeah. All right. So then the next thing I I saw the um, being just a theme throughout was, again, voter fraud. So I can't believe that a lot of these guys still think Trump. Trump is president. I saw one guy actually was saying that Trump is president. And I'm like, yeah, no, <laughs> we're in fantasy land. It's the magic kingdom. Uh, I mean, Florida. How, how many times do we have to do a recount, go through court cases before these guys accept the reality? Do over. I'm on the playground. I want to do over Tina. <laughs> You're killing me today, by the way. I'm, I feel like death. I feel like shit. Um, 
so all right so they they just believe this stuff all right so <laughs> did i miss anything i feel like i hit on all the the points but what what would you add to this that i didn't uh, touch on uh from either of your articles oh boy uh let's see i've got one of them right up in front of me i mean you know you, did you see marjorie taylor green's 14 tweet thread weird to waste 14 tweets when 14 <laughs> words would have said the same thing. Well, maybe that was by design. Right. And did you see in my second article that I chose the 14 bloopers from CPAC? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I missed that. Now that you pointed out, though, I'm going to. Yeah. I see. So that's bloopers. the 14th. So that's the four. The 14th blooper okay. I wrote is after pleading ignorance about the deeply racist and fascistic qualities of the AFPAC conference, Taylor Green proceeded to share clips of her speech from and shared a 14 tweet thread defending her actions. Quote, weird to waste 14 tweets when 14 words would have said the same thing, quipped Kevin M. Cruz, a historian, alluding to the 14 words, which have been described by the ADL as a reference to the popular white supremacist slogan. That's right. So for folks that don't know, you've seen maybe 1488. This is the 14 words that are, are made. I can't remember. I don't know them by heart, but it's I have them and I'm I'm not gonna quote them because I don't yeah, want a video. I, I refuse for there to be a video in existence of me reading these words. I, I am with you on that, so which is good. And then the 88 is a reference to um Heil Hitler. So this is why when you see neo-Nazis use those terms, that's what they're referencing. So that's just their their subspeak, so to speak, um, for yeah. identifying this with uh Hitler. Code words oh, for sure. Code. Okay. And what else? Anything else? Let's see. I mean, uh, Kevin Sorbo of uh, Hercules and Andromeda fame yeah. wearing a suit. He was wearing a suit. Yeah, he was there. He's promoting his uh, um, new film, Climate Conspiracy 2, because Climate Conspiracy 1 didn't get the point across. And um, he was wearing just, a suit lined with his own tweets. Like this black lining here, tweets, just photos of his tweets. That's I'm wild. not kidding. Fashion is, we're done. We, can, we can't do anything cool anymore. We've done it. It's peaked. Might as yes. well just wear burlap sacks. <laughs> Kevin, I didn't know. So is Kevin Sorbo an extreme hard right guy? Uh, One of his, I quoted one of his tweets. There you go. Same yeah. person who says the world is overpopulated wants to save your life with a vaccine. My guy, I don't even where, know where to start. Um, I don't even know where to start with that either. So, wow. Go, go just go, go scroll. Just go scrolling. Um, you know, awesome merch. You could have bought a, a collected set of Trump's tweets in book form. Um <laughs> I wow. kind of I regret not buying them. Honestly. The coffee coffee table book. Of they're like no, they're they're like pocket constitution sized, so you can oh, keep no, it with you. Even, you can keep it with you, so you can like pull it out and like whenever you need like some words of affirmation or you like you're feeling lost, you can consult it. <laughs> That's insane. It's some good stuff. There's That's just like. Insane. Amazing things, really um, a spectacle unlike anything I've ever seen. And like, I've been to some stuff and I've done some things. And let me tell you what, um, I felt like I was on some hardcore drugs, but I wasn't. 
because I was in Florida and there were secret service. Do you remember last year they had the, or was it the year before actually, where they had the gold statue of Trump? I was there. I was here this time again. I got a selfie with it. You got- Yeah. Are you kidding me? I can't not. Yeah, I thought that was kind of wild. Um, there was a Rambo Trump, Rambo's body, Trump's head. Also got a selfie of that. There was uh, Trump-themed hammocks. Uh, they could carry up to 500 pounds. We tested like- it. <laughs> a buddy so- of mine who weighs over 400 pounds like tested it thinking that he might accidentally break it and that we would get a film uh, video of that. And it, it didn't happen. No, worked. it didn't happen. The hammocks were good. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, wow. Look, I, I tell it how it is. I you tell it how it is. The Trump cult is alive and well at CPAC is what I'm hearing. Um, we sort of went through everything that they, you know, they picked as their thing, awake, not woke. Um, mm-hmm. I, I imagine, imagine just like someone correcting uh, someone else's grammar and one of them's white. That's like basically how I interpret that slogan, that theme. It's awake, yeah. not woke. <laughs> um now can i speak to your manager yeah. now can i go full karen <laughs> right or kevin yeah. sorbo or kevin sorbo exactly steven so if folks want to uh read your two rolling stone articles and they want to follow you on twitter where is the best uh place give us your twitter handle all that information so folks can yeah. find you uh get follow me on twitter i am at steve Anzetti. that's all one word uh because of you know um the first italians that i learned about in american history I imagine me sitting in school learning about Sacco and Vanzetti and how they didn't do it. And I'm like the only kid in the class with the last name that's Monticelli in Texas. <laughs> so um, follow me there. You can read uh, my articles. I have a link tree that goes to my muck rack where you can see all the stuff I write because I write for more than one place. Um, I also publish a literary magazine, which I will plug because yeah. uh, why not? It is called... Protean Magazine, uh, we publish essays, fiction, poetry, art. Uh, we are all uh, pretty left-leaning people, I would say. Um, but um, the kind of stuff that we do, um, we think is important, and we think you should check it out. Uh, we're a nonprofit, and we focus on paying writers and artists uh, a reasonable amount of money for their work. Uh, on a timely basis, because that doesn't really happen that much these days no, that's in true. publications. So you should check that out too. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I post all my articles on Twitter. I share them. I uh, I do like to shit post and other things. Um, so that's probably the best place you're a to. Funny guy. Not only are you a good journalist, you're a funny guy. Well, um, I did go to school for theater where Stephen Colbert did. Um, did you really? Yeah, one of these days I got to bully him into letting me on the show because he has used some of my tweets on his show as a joke. And I'm I'm like, we went to the same school, man. That's funny. What are you doing? So, Stephen, if you see this. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Yeah. Follow me there. Follow Protean and Mag. Um, and you know, thanks for, thanks for, thanks for having me. This was a Absolutely. lot of fun. No, thanks for coming on. I hope everybody enjoyed the show and, uh, have a great afternoon.